Hello and welcome to an all new Deep Cuts. I'm your host, Antoine Reed. And today we have a very special guest. So today we're going to be speaking to Luciano Morales. We'll be speaking to Luciano about his life, how he got into cigars, and what's going on with his company today. So let's get to today's interview. Luciano, welcome to Deep Cuts Live. Thank you very much, Antoine. Thank you very much. I'm honored. I'm honored. Happy to be here. Happy yeah, like be I have, you know, I tell people like Deep Cuts is my way of being able to speak to so many different people in the cigar industry. So I've, we've not had a conversation up to this date, but I have been following you and your brand for quite some time. So when I was making up my, my wish list of people trying to, um, you know, make it happen this year, uh, you were on that list. So um want to thank you for coming on today. And I look forward to kind of getting to know more about you and your approach to cigars and kind of what's going on in your company, because I know a lot is going on right now. I'm flattered that I'm on your list. Uh, <laughs> we we have a very uh, brief interaction. I think it was during the, the, the festival uh, yes. the Pool of Sabor in, uh, in Nicaragua. Yes, I you, you invited me out to to, to join <laughs> you at a, a club, I think, and I was just completely drained that night. So I was just like, "That's right." There, I was like, "There's no way." <laughs> I'm an old person now. Like I, it's like I don't know. It used to be that I could stay up till like two or three o'clock in the morning and pop up, you know, with three hours of sleep and be completely fine. But as I'm approaching the later half of my 30s now, it's like. 10 o'clock, I'm just like, it's time for bed. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely, you're definitely not older than I am. And uh, to be quite honest, I think it was, that was, I think it was after the the white party, right? Yeah, we were at yes, the uh, yeah. J.C. Newman. That's was right. Hosting that's right. It that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think actually people went to, uh, to a nightclub that night, uh, which I never go. When I'm Mr. Lee, I'm just kind of my working mode. But, you know, I had so many friends, and it was fun that night, though. I think uh, we spent a couple couple hours there. It was, it was fun. But I'm happy to be here with you, Antoine, I, and I've always wanted to uh, to be at your show, and uh, I hope we, we, have, uh, we have a very, very good conversation. Yeah, like, like I said, I've listened to some of your other interviews and I like the depth that you usually go in because, you know, some people you can tell are, are a little bit guarded. They don't want to get too deep into, you know, their yeah. philosophy of certain things. But I like that you go beyond rapper binder filler um, because I tell people as someone who's been working on the media side of the industry for uh, 12 years now, almost 13 It's it's uh the rapper binder filler stuff gets old and I'm like, I have no idea what that even means anymore. Like I, I'm not to that level where I can just say, read rapper binder filler and automatically know what the cigar is going to taste like and if it's going to be good or not. So I like those people like yourself that go deeper and actually have a story to tell because I can remember stories. I can't really remember, like I said, how different tobacco combinations kind of form uh, without actually trying it, you know? So yeah, I, I noticed like uh, co conversations about cigars are getting a little more uh, more deep, and I and I, I like that. I always relate 
the consuming habits to uh, the success of, of any of any product like this you see the wine industry how much has developed because now people know more about wine now they know about the process they learn the process and I think the more well informed they are uh, you know the better consumer they will be as well so I think it's a trend I think a lot of people are uh, aware that they cannot just uh, be shallow anymore. They have to uh, to disclose what, you know, how cigars are manufactured, uh, the purpose of a blend, and how how uh, how how, uh, how intrinsic some some things are when it comes to manufacturing cigars. You know, and I think this is uh, shows like yours are, are a huge opportunity for us to to talk about. It. So we should never miss the opportunity to explain to the consumer uh, how things are done, and, and because therefore. Their, uh, their clients, you know, I mean, to the retailers, so therefore consumers will will learn and uh, will take advantage of that, uh, of that knowledge. So, yeah, I'm a huge advocate of uh, supplying as much information as possible. Oh, great. So before we get into talking about the cigar part, I want to get to know you a little bit. So before tobacco, before cigars, when you were just little Luciano, <laughs> what was your childhood like? It was uh, it was kind of weird. Uh, I uh, I had the privilege to be raised by my grandparents uh, with my uncle almost as a brother. We were just uh, seven years apart, um, so I was uh, I had a very interesting childhood. I would say I travel a lot. I had a lot of opportunities to, uh, to learn different things. Uh, like I said, I grew up with my uncle as a brother, so he was always uh, was always teasing me, and, uh, and it was a very quite interesting relationship. Uh, I grew up uh, playing basketball. I was uh, school was kind of easy for me. No, no big drama, no issues at all. Always uh, good grades and stuff. I always struggle with the synesthesia, so there'll be few few times in school where I would just kind of do really really poor. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to focus and concentrate. But then I got a I got used to kind of deal with, and, and yeah, it was a, I was actually had a I had a very good childhood. I can't I can't complain about my childhood. I did a lot of things, man. I started very early. I could say that um, I was very. Uh, uh, premature when it comes to certain things, especially girls, uh, you know, in general. But I was, uh, I had a very happy childhood. Like I said, I was blessed to be raised by my, my grandparents, and, uh, and that made, made a lot of difference to me. When I was born, my father was only uh, 16 years old, and my mom was 17, so they're really, really young when they had me. So, uh, Again, we are. I had a, had a. I have a very very good family. I uh, grew up playing sports. Basketball was my passion. Uh, philosophy was my passion at a very young age. Well, I always loved to learn different languages. So I always uh, tried to learn different languages, even at a very young age too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, now chi childhood. It could be like from you know your uh, two years old to 
12, 13, 14, 16. So I had, I had a very kind of, uh, to say the least, adventurous uh, childhood. So um, what did you, since, since your grandparents were such big figures in your life growing up, like what did they kind of teach you about life in general was or like what did they impart on you about life that you kind of carry on and think about a lot now? Almost everything. Uh, I think my my grandmother uh, was such a loving person. I think she was she was able to love people, knowing that she could be disappointed at people. She she still always chose to love regardless of the possible outcome. It's almost like a, uh, she, she preached that as a mantra. Like she's, she said, you know, I know that person might do this one day. I know she has this flaw. I know this, but you know, but she's, I like her. I think she's, uh, I think she might actually do good. Like she's always had this kind of amazing hope for people. And, uh, and I definitely uh, got that from, from her. I still believe in people regardless of the, of the, of the traumas. Um, my grandpa, uh, you know, we're all human beings. Like, like we all have, like, you know, strengths and flaws. I think my, my grandpa was uh, the best thing I can, I, can, I can remember and thank him for is his knowledge. Like I said, I've learned different languages when I was too young, and the reason being is, he would just invite me over to, to his office. Uh, he, was a, he was a teacher, a professor, uh, a very, very talented man. And I would just sit down there and he would read books to me, like he would read long books. And for some reason, I enjoyed it. Uh, now I don't have pictures for audiobooks, but <laughs> at that time, I had my personal audiobook. So my grandpa would read to me books, and, and he would read in different languages. That's how I learned English. Uh, just because he uh, used to read, you know, American literature, English literature, uh, or some other, you know, uh, books that were translated to English, and he would always uh, speak to me in a different language. So he speaks fluent French, Greek, uh, Portuguese, English, uh, Spanish, you know, Latin, French. I don't know how many languages he speaks. But so I got to, I, I think I've learned that the, uh, the knowledge, I think, the patience, uh, and also, you know, as any human being, I think I inherited a lot of bad stuff from <laughs> from both sides and and for the humanity that we uh, that we all have. So, uh, but those are definitely the highlights that I would say uh, to you. I think the the ability to love unconditionally. For my grandma, which I, when I say I inherited, it's not because I'm I'm as good as she is, but she definitely influenced how I think about people. Uh, and then from my grandpa, just just knowledge. Uh, so that man was a philosopher in his heart. Like he, uh, if someone would ask him a question, he could not just give the simple answer. He'd give the honest answer as possible, and always uh, filled with uh, with base and knowledge. So. Those are the two things that influence me the most. So you just told us about your childhood. So obviously, when you were a child, I would think you did not intend or think that you were going to be uh, a cigar maker, tobacco grower. 
So what did you kind of envision yourself doing as a child? So it's no simple answer. I think uh, as, a, as a child, um, I didn't know. I was one of those kids that I never grew up thinking like I'm gonna be a fireman. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a, a lawyer or maybe a lawyer because I I had a my uncle just said it was not too far from me. But when I was like 15, 16 years old, he was already a lawyer, and I always wanted to be like him. Uh, but for me, I always struggled actually to know what I was going to do. I learned something though from my grandfather. Also very philosophical. He always told me like whatever is in your hands, you just do your best, kind of thing. Like whatever you know, God provides to you, just kind of make sure you uh, you give everything you have. Uh, and and that that message really really uh, stayed with me for uh, for all those years. Um, and I ended up doing so many different things. But like when I I remember when I was young, not finding peace about it, and I see. My daughter's going through the same problem as well. I, I remember going to uh, one of those vocational tests that you do, you know, mm -hmm. and I got more confused than actually, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, than elucidated. I, I felt like uh, I, I could do everything and anything, you know. So... <laughs> Uh, I, I felt like uh, well, when I did the vocational test, it came up that I could be a journalist, a musician, uh, a lawyer. It came like, uh, it just made me more confused than before. <laughs> and I, I don't think it's because I'm that kind of super, super talented guy. I think it was maybe because I, uh, you know, when they say when you play, when you say you play a lot of instruments, you really don't play any well. Uh, that's kind of how I felt when I was a child. Of course, I've learned that actually was part of my skill set, uh, but I felt that way. I felt like super, uh, I felt a lot of the anxiety that many teenagers go through of not knowing exactly what they're going to do. Well, I ended up going to business school, uh, and I found, uh, I found myself actually excited about creating things from scratch and, and building business from nothing. And so that, that's kind of what I ended up uh, doing on my early days after college. But on my childhood, I'll tell you, I had no clue. So how did you, after college and all this experience, how did you find yourself working in the tobacco industry? Okay, so now it's going to be a big jump. I am uh, already in uh, 2008, almost uh, 10 years on, on the financial industry. Uh, then I see myself making a lot of money and, uh, and losing my family. That's, that's how I, I actually uh, remember what first kind of came to my head about the cigar industry. I thought that uh, working with cigars, I would be more present uh, with my with my family. Uh, my my oldest one, she almost, uh, I almost didn't see her growing. I was just kind of traveling everywhere. 
uh, I was living one week in each country, you know, Switzerland, Dominican, Sao Paulo, Chicago, which was my base. Uh, but I was just traveling too much, and I and I and I actually made a huge mistake. So I was, I was not a good father. I I connected actually in 2008. I I just had that kind of sense of realization that I that I was not doing the right thing, and I and I just decided to to get into the cigar industry and uh, and to simplify my life, make my life more simple. Mm-hmm. Then then of course you know the kids grew up, and and then I I decided to kind of spend more time in the cigar industry and, and do more things. But I got in the cigar industry because of a trauma. I, I was, I, uh, I decided to become a better person. And the cigar industry enabled me to uh, become a better father, a better husband. Now I don't know. Now maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, uh, I'm not sure, you know, how the kids feel about it, that now, especially now. But uh, but they're not kids anymore. They are grown-ups. But definitely, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in between uh, the farms in Nicaragua, the factory, uh, and, and distribution in the United States. So it's been a, it's been quite an intense journey. So a, a minute ago when you mentioned trauma, how did you learn to work with that trauma or live with it? Uh I don't think I'll ever learn how to deal with the type of trauma that I that I went to. It's something related to my family, uh, but I did learn that certain things in life matters way more than others. Mm-hmm. So I've learned that actually uh, by uh, by doing the by 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 doing the right thing. Uh, when I, when I say doing the right thing, is spending more time with my daughters, spending more time with my wife, spending more time uh, doing things that actually uh, matter, you know, uh, that I would be way more fulfilled, way more complete, and, uh, and money was not the first thing. So I was, I was blessed that I, I didn't have to, uh, you know, work to survive anymore at a very young age. And that kind of gave me the opportunity to uh, do things in a cigar industry slow. When when most of the people, they uh, you know they go like in this frenetic rhythm of creating a brand and then you know uh, manufacturing cigars, eventually getting to fermentation and getting to uh, growing tobacco. We came from the opposite side, uh, start to grow tobacco, then ferment tobacco, then making cigars for other brands, and then eventually, you know, developing our own products and, and launching them into the market. So I, I think what the difference was mainly um, this awareness, like I said, you know, this awareness that uh, that I needed to simplify my life. I needed to spend more time with the girls and see them growing and uh, and spend more time with my wife. I was, uh, I, I, again, I think the, the, the trauma is that I was about to, I was losing everybody, you know? I was not spending time with them. Uh, and, I, and I see so many people making the same mistake. And I'm so glad, you know, at, at a young age, I was able to wake up. And I always relate to my, 
my time, my, my decision to go into the cigar industry with the simplification of life and, and at the same time uh, uh, managing my life uh, wisely. I think that was, that was the, the breakthrough. And I think that's interesting because if you spoke to certain people in the cigar industry, they would say, you know, getting into the cigar industry is probably the most complicated <laughs> process and stress inducing. And, but you've seen the film, you know, yourself in this industry and comfort and what it has to offer you. Yeah. Cause you know, you have to be grounded no matter industry you work. Uh, I think I hear a lot of people there, oh, I got divorced as soon as I got into the cigar industry because the cigar industry for some of them is, is, is just kind of sales, you know. Uh, for me, it's a little different. You know? For me, uh, it's, it's about the product development. It's about the tobacco. It's about fermenting. It's about the, 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 the development of the, of the blend. So those things I would take most of my time and and uh, in fact, right now, when I go to Nicaragua, the first question I ask my wife is, want to come with me? We have a house there. So she's been coming with me all the time. And the girls are as well. And I have Rebecca, who's working at the company. And, uh, and she comes quite often as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you just have to be grounded, you know. It's, it's hard. It's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy to uh, lose sight, lose track of of your purposes. And, uh, but one thing I can tell you, Antoine, I, my purposes and my objectives are very, very clear. Very, very clear. I do this because, uh, because I love what I do. And, uh, it's more than that sense of, of accomplishment. Oh, I do because this is the passion of my life. And so what about everybody else's life, right? Uh, what about your family? So I do this because I, I believe that this is, uh, therapeutical for me it's, it's it's about my health as well i found in blending uh, uh a safe place at the, uh, uh, one of the, the places that re-energizes me uh one of the things that really i don't feel like i'm working uh when i'm blending when i'm growing tobacco i don't feel like i'm working um but you know uh, there are some some uh, some hardships too. You know, sometimes you have to have you have to compromise certain things, have discipline. Uh, well, not sometimes you have to have discipline. Uh, compromises sometimes, compromising some other pleasures. I love to fish, for example. I haven't fished this year yet. Uh, I, I love to spend weekends uh, and go to the beach with my with my wife. Unfortunately, you know, this year so far I hadn't had the time to it. That type of compromising, you know, you haven't had a vacation in a long time, especially after our transition uh, to become to the Shiba own products. This this is uh, this is something that takes a lot of energy, a lot of work, a lot of dedication, a lot of focus. Uh, but despite that, man, I, I find in our industry uh, a meaningful way to send a message, and I hope people are listening to that message. Now comes the cue for you. And what is that message? I'm kidding. <laughs> well, well, what, like, but I, would think, I guess the reason I wouldn't ask that question, because I would mm -hmm. think which with each product, you might be, you might have a different message attached to it or a different, yeah. a different story you're communicating. Like I said, a different intent 
for each product. Like, I don't think it will be the same message for each product, each cigar that you blend, because that will get pretty one note. That will be like saying that you only have one thing to say to the world, which you don't strike me as the type of person who has just one thing to say to the world. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're right. Uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, uh, definitely anything that I do needs to have a meaning, a reason for, uh, that, that's how I'm built, I guess. I, yeah, we try to convey in each, uh, each cigar an important message. It's always something uh, personal, not necessarily personal to me. It could be personal to someone of my acquaintance. It could be uh, personal between me and someone or, or someone of my family or my business partner or, or a story that I think it's important to tell. Uh, so, yeah. If you look at the history of our brands, there's always a reason why uh, we we name the brands the way we do, and and there's always a connection also with the product with the cigar. And I like what you said that you know this isn't about money <laughs> because I think a lot of people sometimes get their purpose and their drive kind of mixed up with the whole you know pursuit of money, pursuit of wealth thinking that the wealth and the money is going to give, you know, fill a gap or solve a problem for them. And it typically never does. So it's like never any like hamster wheel uh, effort. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a joke in the industry, which I don't have no idea who invented this, but I heard the first time for Ernesto Carrillo. So when I told Ernesto, I said, Hey man, I I'm thinking about, you know, uh, making cigars. And <laughs> he looked at me, you know, you know how you how you're gonna make your first million, right? I said, no, please tell me. So put two. <laughs> when you put when you put two million, you might make one. So mm -hmm. it's like you're gonna lose, uh, you know, you're gonna lose half of it. So yeah, I I think the very very few people. Um, this is illusion, right? That you know when you have a because of the maybe the luxury component of cigars. People think this is a, a luxury product, therefore, you know, whoever makes them is a millionaire. And, and actually, uh, having a cigar brand is, is so hard to really, uh, you know, really make money, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, you can make money by growing tobacco, you know? That, that's true. You can make money by maybe... Uh, I don't know, distributing a conglomerate of brands. Uh, or you can even make money manufacturing, outsourcing for other factories. But like having your own brand and buying cigars from factories and selling, it's, it's tough. I, uh, some people succeed, but most of them succeed after they sell the brand. Not actually, uh, you know, uh, within the, the, the business operation. You know, I think uh, it's... I was about to say, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I think that's yes, so strange to me. And I've heard this outside of, um, in the cigar industry and outside of the cigar industry is like building up this business and putting your heart into it for the purpose of selling it off at some point and making your money. Because I think it's like, then what, <laughs> you know, like you put your so much into it and it's like you and it's like ingrained in, 
and everything that you've done. And then you're just going to like hand it off to somebody else who's probably not, who, who probably, if they're acquiring it or buying it, you know, it's like they have a different relationship with it than with your brand and your product and the names and everything that you put into it than, than you do. So I always find that strange that, you know, so many people, and it's like a business idea, like the only way you're going to make money really is the sell off at the end. But I think that's such like a sad, you know, I understand it, but I think it's a sad like goal, you know, in business. Like I never, yeah. it'll, it'll be like me starting deep cuts thinking like, Hey, one day, you know, one day somebody's going to come and buy it and then I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's like, why even do it? Yeah, I mean, I, I know that some people uh, just get tired and, and they just don't want to find a way to retire. I think some people, uh, again, have this illusion that one day they'll, they'll sell and, and it's because they're never really passionate about this. Um. I know some guys who don't even like cigars and they are in the business, you know, they don't even smoke cigars. But again, um, I think the mo the majority of people that are working in this industry, they have to be passionate because again, there is a, I know <laughs> so maybe some uh, consumers don't believe that maybe retailers don't believe that, but at the end of the day, very, very few people make money out of this business. Very, very few. And usually are conglomerates, uh, and and they make more money actually by uh, because the they, their stock and, and uh, the shares they are being negotiated in a, they're being traded and it, they get dividends out than actually because of the business itself. Uh, so you have to be passionate about about this, and that, that's what makes this industry beautiful. You know, I think uh, the majority are, you know, uh, they they want to. And people who sell their business sometimes, you know, in most cases, the most successful sales are the ones that don't want to sell. They actually are doing their business for years and they're happy, but then comes that huge offer that they can't, they have to take it. Uh, and then they, they get sad because they, they sold, you know, and we have a, we have a recent, uh, recent uh, trading that happened now with Alec Bradley. And I spoke to Alan, I spoke to Alec, spoke to Bradley. None of them are super like, you know, oh, man, you know, we're so excited. We're out of the business. Those guys, they are actually, they are trying to find ways to stay in the business, be part of, you know, work with. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that in the future, they're going to just going to create and develop a new thing, you know, like other, the other uh, company owners did, you know. Um, so, yeah, this industry is special, man. It's very special. I think uh, there's a lot of goodwill uh, in this business. And that, that kind of gives me hope. So when you first started off in the industry, in the cigar industry, that is like with, with the brand, you started off as Ace Prime and then recently you rebranded to Luciano Cigars. So what was that transition like? And do you feel like, like, why did you start in that order? Like you would think maybe some people will want to say, I'm going to start off with my, you know, this is my product. I'm going to start off with my name being attached to it but you seem to do the opposite. So now it's like with this change, you're like, now I'm going to put my name on it. So what was that whole process like? It was uh, completely unplanned. Um, the idea was really to kind of push Ace Prime. Uh, then when we decided to uh, distribute our own products and we, we, uh, we ruptured with our previous partners, uh, 
we hired a company out of DC to kind of do a, a study on impressions and you know re, uh, uh, recalls of our brand. And we realized that uh, the brand is prime. First, that the cigar brands were stronger than the house of brands, than Ace Prime, which is great. Uh, that's that's what we wanted. The second thing is that uh, the name that was more prevalent on uh, not just Google search, but even during uh, sampling that they're, you know, marketing sampling, they, they call stores, you know, in every state and ask them, you know, when they think of our brands, what was the top of the mind, you know, uh, mm -hmm. thing and they had options to, to choose so Michano was like the name that they memorized the most that they had uh, you know in their head the most and then at that time our head of marketing was uh, Mark Reddy a good friend of mine who worked for a very large PR company at that time he looked at it and said man that your company needs to, to be called uh, Michano and I was uh, I was resistant it's, it's still to this day very weird uh, but I think um I think uh, Luciano, it's, it's, it, it is, it's becoming more and more a house of brands than actually a brand. I think now, you know, with ATL, with Foreign Affair, with Mazik Nails, with Fiat Lux, this is all like by Luciano, but Luciano is not the main thing, you know. If you think about, we had The Traveler, was a limited edition. Then we have Luciano The Dreamer, which became a regular line, and that's it. So there is no other Luciano brand out there. This is the only one. I'm not saying they're going to launch another one, which mm -hmm. we might very soon. But uh, we're launching other brands, and those each one of these brands has a message, has an identity. So we we are not uh, we're not so super, you know, focused on 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 you know making the branding of the house of brands the biggest thing. So we we want the brands to really uh, take on their own. And people might say, oh, but that's stupid, you know, if one day you want to sell the company. <laughs> well, I mean, and, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I, me neither, but uh, I'm just joking, like, because, yeah, you know, the most of the strategies to sell comes from, like, strengthening the house of brands, you know, one central brand that can become so strong that one day you'll become part of a, or a bigger portfolio. But it's, uh, yeah, I think it's not our call. Our call is to really create, uh, just like you said at the beginning, I'll send different different messages to each one of the brands. Uh, of course, you have family of brands. You know, Luciano is one of them. And we are really excited about uh, the new products that we're putting out in the market. We just launched the, the Foreign Affair uh, not too long ago. Uh, and uh, the ATL Wise Blood, which is a great, uh, great, great partnership that we we have with those guys. So yeah, man, future is good. So tell us a little bit more about Foreign Affair, because I know, like you said, that's one that just was uh, introduced, I, I believe, at TPE. Yeah. You know, I see a lot of uh, new brands, new newcomers, new people wants to develop their they have a lot of energy they want to develop a brand they want to develop a business and i, I have a different mindset Antoine, about about this you know i people that work with me 
no matter in what capacity, I always, I need to see that they see hope, that they see future. Uh, I'll give an example, like recently, I'll have three to give to you, uh, long-term three examples. One was uh, with Nidia. Nidia, uh, she worked at our factory since the beginning, like uh, she's been with us for more than 12 years. And she was the cleaning lady. She was the, the one who come and clean our offices and make sure that the factory floor is always shiny and, and everything was in place, everything was perfect. And, uh, but you know, factory was far from her, from her house. Then she had a kid, the kids started going to school. Uh, she was going to a special school now. Uh, and you know, she needs to be closer. Uh, so she became, uh, you know, making a long story short, she became almost like an assistant to me. You know, she always had the opportunity to grow over the years and now she takes care of our house. She takes care of all the purchases for the factory and the house. Uh, she, she, uh, uh, she basically became like a supervisor, a boss, you know, who, who's kind of oversees and, and hire people to do things and like, so she had a she had a place to uh, she had an opportunity to grow. Recently, I have a guy called Dylan, who was a buncher, young buncher that learned how to bunch with us, and became one of the best bunchers. He does the strujado, the accordion, really well. Uh, it's a it's a kid, man. That he's probably 24, 25 now. He started with us when he was like 19 years old, but he's been with us for us for five years. So he came to me two weeks ago and he said, hey, boss, I, I, you know, this is my last year at the university, uh, you know, and I want to, uh, I need to do my internship. I said, uh, so then what do you want to intern with? He said, oh, I, I you know, I'm, I'm studying industrial engineering, but I think accounting is one of the areas that I need more knowledge the most. And I want to, uh, so two things. I got really impressed with the kid. First, his courage to come and talk to me. Uh, second, the fact that I knew he was studying because we helped him. Uh, and third was that he, uh, he chose an area that he knew was not his strength to mm -hmm. learn and become better. But make the story short, so now he's actually, uh, I hired him. Uh, he's not just interning, so he's... Uh, is making a little little bit more money, and uh, I lost that bunch. Of. And I, I would say many many manufacturers will look at the situation and say, Are "You crazy!" Especially now in the city, with this, because all the bunches are, are fleeing the country and stuff. Uh, but if I if that kid loses his hope and he doesn't see there's a chance for him to grow with me, he'll go to work somewhere else, and and I'm gonna lose him anyways. So I'd rather have someone that I trust and been working with us for years, you know. Um, and, 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 and grow and having a chance to grow, you know, than, uh, than anything else. But what is, what's the connection with the brand? So I see all this, this people that wants to launch their own brand and stuff. And I, and I start trying to think a little bit out of, uh, out of the box in a sense that I have to revisit my own, uh, my own objectives, my own goals, right? And, and brand was one of them, branding. I ask myself, do I want to continue to promote new brands and, and visit stores and do events? And uh, yeah, I, I, I like to do that, you know. 
Uh, do I want to do this with every single brand and for the rest of my life? Do I see myself 10 years from now uh, going to, uh, to cigar shops and promoting new brands and new things? Uh, no, I don't see myself doing that. And I got to be honest with myself. So what do I see? I see I love to mentor. I love to kind of teach people anything, not just tobacco. I, I just I think I um, um, actually it's a very selfish thing because I think the more I the more I teach, the more I learn, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and and it's a way for you to also perpetuate legacy. And so I I wanted to I asked I asked the question. I started looking at to the to the market too. I, I remember looking into all these acquisitions, right? And I, I saw, for example, uh, what what STG did with CAO, General, then STG did with CAO. Now they, they buy the brand or Cohiba, and they, they bring someone from outside to be the face of the brand. Uh, and oh, I think it works. You know, I think, uh, you know, they're employees of the company. But one day that face might change again and might be someone else, like that just, that just happened recently with, with different companies. Uh, and I asked, I asked the, the following question. I said, what if, what if we can create brands that actually the identity is 100% legitimate? Like we're not bringing any outsider. We are actually creating from its inception an outsider who will be outsider, quote, unquote, who will be the face of that brand or, or will co-own that brand. In order to do that, we cannot be greedy. If it was just about Luciano, why would I invest in in developing other brands with other people and co-branding with them and, and saying, hey, listen, you know, let's create this brand and you own it. You know, I, I'm not disclosing percentages, but, you know, just as hypothetical, you know, let's say tomorrow uh, you want to create a cigar and you come to our company and say, I want to create a brand. And I look at you and say, man, this guy has potential to actually really become uh, a cigar maker. He can, he, he wants to, he wants to come to the farms. He wants to learn the process. He wants to learn how to blend. He wants to learn. He wants to say the message as the message is. He's not full of shit. He wants to really develop in his business. And I come to this person and I bring under our wings and I teach the person. And then I said, you know what? Let's create this brand and you co-own this brand. So it's not about me. It's about the brand that we created together. And then now that person embraces that brand in a way that she will promote or he will promote for his life because he owns it. And that's going to still be part of our family of brands, you know, because we, we have an agreement from its inception that we can own that brand together. You know, you can only do this uh, if you're not greedy. You can only do this if you're really willing to kind of give something, you know, abdicate of something. And in our case, for me, it's not even abdication. For me, it's uh, it's an investment. I believe in this model. I think uh, it's something that not everybody's doing it. I don't know of anyone who's doing it. I know a lot of companies who uh, who create small brands and they sell it, or, or companies that just acquire brands and, and, and do like the MBO thing, you know, the management buyout, hire the, the face of the brand for a while. There's no compete agreements uh, with the business. And then later that brand becomes uh, completely orphaned and then they have to bring someone else to be the face of it. So what if we can create a brand that we have someone actually as the face of the brand since its inception 
and it's still correlated to us. So that's the that's the philosophy of foreign affair. So foreign affair is born with Michael Donolis and Frank Cosio as part of the of owners as owners of the brand uh, with Luciano Cigars, and they became our main lounge for TPE, our main lounge for uh, for the first semester of the year. And it's treated as any any brand because we own it as well, but we give the chance for them to tell the story, you know. And and the story of the cigar is real too, so there is a reason why that cigar is called Foreign Affair. There is a reason why the blend is the way it is, uh, and and there you have this mix of uh, Michael, who is extremely creative, is the the guy who's behind the branding and all that stuff. And then you have Frank, who has this amazing palate, who is a who is a super taster. And then you have my role, which is to develop the blend and make the cigar. So all the all the the, the three together, we are the foreign affair. Completely different people from different backgrounds, uh, and I think we created a, a a very interesting. I would dare to say unprecedented product. Now, the other brand that a lot of people talk about with within your portfolio is the Maria Lucia. Um, this cigar. So, going back to the the comment that you made earlier, um, what sort of story or what sort of message were you, were you trying to convey to the industry with this release? The message I'm I'm trying to convey with this release is a message of. I am tempted to say redemption, but it's not redemption. Mm -hmm. It's not redemption. I think that every single human being have a story. And in uh, our lives are consequences of the choices we make and sometimes consequences of the choices we don't make. The, the cigar tells the story, uh, first tells the, the story of my, my biological mother. I disclosed to you before, I was raised by my grandparents. My mom died uh, when I was only 12 years old. And uh, she she would be considered someone uh, that had a very tragic life. And I could say that telling her story is redemptive. But it's not redemptive to her, it's more redemptive to me. It's a way for me to keep her story alive. Uh, it's somehow a little bit selfish. But uh, but it is at the same time a, a a way to inspire other people to think likewise. Uh, the story of the cigar starts when my eldest daughter, uh, which is all connected with your first question because she was part of that trauma that I was telling you before. Uh, she had this dream, uh, this nightmare, and she dreamed of a woman. Uh, and she uh, she's always been an artist. Took me some time to realize that. But she, when she was only 14 years old, she made this beautiful art, which is actually the the cigar band of Maria Lucia. Yeah, and I don't know if people uh, I see it on this camera, but you can kind of see it with the light yeah. going out. But it's very nice artwork. It's unlike a lot of a lot of the cigar industry stuff is very dark. So I was a, a immediately drawn to this brand because it's very bright uh, in comparison to most cigar stuff. 
Yeah. But she, uh, so she, she did this drawing after this nightmare. She wake, she woke up in the middle of the night and she comes to our room to meet my wife. And she says, I, I, I dreamed of this woman. I've never seen her before. And then, and then she, she died and I could not help her. And then she was crying. Um, but anyways, this, she was 14. Now she's 24. So this was like 10 years ago. Uh, four years later, uh, the girls, again, I'm old, man. You say they're old. I think I'm older than you. But I, 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 at my time, there was, we, we didn't have any pictures. Like, there's no cell phone. And, and uh, you know, whatever pictures you have is because you printed them, you know, uh, professionally somewhere. And uh, I had absolutely no pictures of my mom whatsoever. I was 12, you know. And, uh, and you know, my girls, much less, never met the grandma, of course, and, and never saw any picture. So when my daughter turned 18 years old, this is November, uh, we receive a box from my grandmother who passed, uh, my mom's mother. Uh, and inside that box, there were several letters that my mom wrote, my mom wrote uh, to several people, including to me. And the first item of the box was a picture of her which was upside down, and all you could read was Maria Lucia, 18 years old. And this was the day that my daughter was turning 18. When we flipped the photo, so my daughter comes to cheer, said, this is the woman that I dreamed four years ago. So this is four years, fast forward. So this is the woman I dreamed of four years ago. I said, well, this is your grandmother. And, uh, and then she went to tears, was super emotional. Uh, and then I, I start looking, because she drew that in a, in, a, in a piece of paper like that. It was like a, 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 half, a half, you know, letter paper. And, then, and weeks later, we found the drawing. And then you put side by side. It's just like, there's no way you're not going to get goosebumps. When you put like side by side, it's, it's exactly the same. You know, the silhouette is exactly the same, the nose, the eyebrows, everything. And what's interesting is, for some reason, she did all the shapes and forms of leaves, which was also uh, quite, uh, quite unique. So then she was 18, then four more years passed by. Now we're talking about two years ago. And, and making a cigar using that image was always in the back of my head and do something to uh, honor her life. Um, I had a friend of mine who, uh, it's another crazy story, which I don't think it's, it's too long and you're going to edit and cut it out, uh, <laughs> because it's going to be too long interview, but I, but she, uh, you know, just making short, this guy wrote, uh, he, I, I used to work for, uh, uh, an investment fund. And so I met this guy, uh, a very, uh, well-known person, you know, he's a, he's a New York bestseller writer. So he writes, uh, he did an interview by the time he was actually, uh, I was living in Brazil and he was there. So he asked some questions about my mom and stuff. And it's funny because the same year that we decided to make the products, the year that he wrote the story about, uh, about me and my mom and, and some other stuff. So then that came to my mind. I said, well, I don't want to make the cigar to become, uh, you know, a, a, a redemptive story for uh for her, I, I want to I want to tell the story that 
there is there is beauty even in someone who goes through things that she went through. You know, uh, she uh, she was extremely intelligent, extremely bright. She never had the opportunity I had to study or anything, but she also uh, she would learn anything and, and navigating any situation. And she would she would just fill the room anywhere she goes. Like if you ask other family members uh, of stories about her, they they tell incredible things and uh, how lovely she was, you know, how strong she was. Uh, so she. Uh, she had this amazing personality, and because of my of my synesthesia, my memories of my mom it was not about you know much of her uh, appearance or or just stories because we didn't have much stories. But I remember the texture of her skin. I remember the sound of her voice, her smell. I remember. Uh, the, the smell she had of her hair because she used to smoke. So I remember that kind of tobacco smell in her hair and in uh, her smile. So I had all this kind of sensorial uh, memories of her. And then the challenge was how can I make a cigar that actually will, will actually resemble those characteristics? Uh, you know, uh, the, of her voice, of her personality, of her skin, of like so all that was present into the development of that uh, of that specific product. And I think that the acceptance and the success is it is today probably our, one of our best sellers, if not the best seller. Mm-hmm. I think is the I think the reason why is because um, because it's a true story. And I think humanity is, is craving true stories. I think uh, we are, you are, I am. We're all tired of the bullshit that we hear everywhere. We're tired of the, the politicians. We, we're tired of the religious leaders. We're tired of circles of friends that they're just kind of making shit up and they, they think it's funny. I think everybody is like craving truth. And when you present that, they never let go. And that's why I think uh, uh, I, I actually had a case the other day. A guy was in Esteli. There's one of those guys. There's, there's several of them, by the way. They, they come to Esteli. They travel on, on their own. Don't tell anybody. And they keep knocking at the uh, factory's doors just to kind of grab some smokes or, or, or trying to kind of do tours and stuff. Uh, but this guy came to me wanting us to produce a cigar for him without we didn't give any notice or anything, just show up at the factory. And then and then and then he came with this uh with his drawings of of the cigar ring, all the ideas he had and the packaging, and he tried to prove to me that this would be a huge success. It was he was going to distribute himself door to door if necessary. And look at his passion. I like that. You know, I, I open the door because when I see someone with that level of passion, I want to I want to find out what he's about. Mm-hmm. So I, I talked to the guy, uh, and then I asked him a very simple question: as why? I'm not going to mention the brand, but why you call this brand? And then I hear things like, "Oh, because it's cool." No. Uh, uh, because you know, see the scholars. When people look at the scholars, they got captivated by because this pops in a shell. Because you know, 
it's gonna be a huge success it's super attractive <laughs> mm -hmm. so that that kind of threw me off completely he might he might watch this one day and and I, i'm telling you brother i didn't think of project just because of that you know i i can't make a cigar i can't make a product just because it looks pretty you know i just can't yeah i think why is one of those questions that it's always hard to answer for, for many reasons, just because it takes you to a personal place. But like you said, it kind of, when you asked him that question, it, it kind of showed that, again, it was kind of tied to the wrong reasons, which is just, you know, oh, it's gonna pop, it's gonna, it's gonna make it big and stuff I'm like that. I, yeah, and listen, I, I'm not trolling anybody. This is true to every, and I understand that, okay? Because I'm in the same place. My, well, Peter RCO came to me and said, hey, listen, what's going to be the launch of PCA? So we need to have the two products a year being launched and blah, blah, blah. And I understand there's that pressure, <laughs> you know. Uh, but all I can say is, Ben, just, just pray, bro. Just pray that we will have uh, a story, a real story to tell, you know. Uh, because if I don't have it, we're just not launching. And as much as uh, can economically, or I remember actually from, because I said, like I told you, I, I used to be commissioned to make cigars. So I, I'm fine with it. You know, uh, it's not, I'm not saying that I'm a purist that I'll never make a cigar if I get uh, contracted for. I did this my entire life, you know, and very recently, you know, I had phone calls from, from people saying, listen, just give me anything. Just give me anything, you know. So I... We do have blends, and, and if I am not attached to the brand, if someone comes to me and say, I need a good blend, and there's nothing to do with me, yeah, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give the guy a blend, and then he can do whatever he wants, but this will never be distributed by us. So I, I cannot stand, I cannot go to a cigar shop, and people ask me about the blend, and I say it's because of sex. Or I just, or I just, uh, or I just shut up and 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 make a dumb face and change the subject. Like I can talk about actually the reason why, because I don't fucking know. Uh, oh, and then I jump to oh, this guy is really good. I'm gonna love the rapper. It's uh, the San Andreas, and I'm gonna love this. Gonna love that. Uh, uh, but why? Why you build the stage profile? Those are questions that. Uh, they're very important that I have the answer for. So at this point in the show, I like to kind of end this part of the interview with two basic questions I ask of every guest. The first of those questions is, do you have a personal philosophy that you live by? Hmm. Yeah. But uh, it's not one philosophy. I think I think if I have to reduce to one, uh, I think every single decision that we make needs to come from a place, a place of love, and it's not how you love pizza and not how you love your 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 daughter, or your family. When I say a place of love, it means I need to understand where uh, someone is coming from. So then I'm saying that I'm perfect. Actually, I it is a philosophy of life to me because I. It's hard to do it, and it's hard for me to do it. That's why it's a philosophy of life. So most of the times, I probably don't do it. Uh, it's when 
let's say someone come at me and attack me verbally or physically or I need to know where he's coming from. What what what's going in his mind to say what he said? What's what kind of pain is this guy going through to say these things or 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 believe in these things or be so aggressive? So what what's behind it? So I think the the biggest philosophy of life probably that I have today and in, in which I again I think my grandfather taught me a lot about it is, is try to understand the why why people behave the way they do why why they're saying things they are why they're hurting you why they're uh, doing these things you know because uh, knowing the why uh, it's a game changer uh, for you for your peace of mind because then you you, you find comfort you know oh, okay I understand he lost your, his mom or he's he's fighting his marriage. Or he's struggling financially, or he's struggling in his relationships, and usually, you know, we attack people that are closer to us too. So that's why sometimes our family get our worst because we love them. We we, we know that they they're not gonna leave you. So then we say things that we're not supposed to say sometimes. But so I think that philosophy. But there are many. But I would say that uh, try to understand the why behind behavior. And. To, to round out the questions for today, the last question I love to ask people is, I want you to finish this sentence. So Luciano Morales is... A tough person. I think I... Uh, I think I acquire a, a, a very thick skin. <laughs> I'm tough, man. I can endure things. Uh, and, and that gives me the, the capacity to maybe the strength to filter uh, things like I just just mentioned to you about my, my philosophy of life. It's actually uh, an acquired strength, right? It's not something that you, you have to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Uh, I think I, I feel sometimes that uh, we all get defeated, right, sometimes. Uh, defeated in a sense, not that you are com competing all the time, but like we get defeated by life. We get defeated by things not going the way we want to. But sometimes I feel like the only thing that really can defeat me is death. Mm -hmm. been, I'll stand up. I'll, I'll, I'll face it. I'll... Uh, I'll uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll take that and try to turn something beautiful. I'll try to uh, to to get that substance and see if I can actually uh, to do some alchemy and change that into something that actually is uh, it, it's positive. Oh, great. Can you tell people, for those who aren't watching this, what website they need to visit, what social media they need to follow in order to keep up with you and your company? Yeah, uh, you can go to Luciano Cigars, LucianoCigars.com. Uh, Instagram is Luciano Cigars. My personal Instagram is Luciano Morales. It's my name. Um, but you know, I uh, I I'm very thankful for. I, I don't know if it's time to say goodbye, but I'm very thankful for the opportunity to 
to be in your uh, your interview Antoine and I and I, I like that this became way more about the, the person and the cigar so I think uh, uh, selling cigars is just a consequence of making good products and people getting to know uh, your product but mostly getting to know who you are so I think you're doing a great job by giving uh, the industry the opportunity you know the the retailer, the consumers, or audience, the opportunity to get to know uh, the makers and the people behind uh, the cigars and the brands. So, oh, thank you. And like I said, I was excited to have you on, and I was very happy with the conversation we had together. I know I've learned so much about you. So now, when I see you out, maybe at PCA this year, um, you know, I'll feel like I, I know a lot more about Luciano and about you know, the products that you make. So I want to thank you for coming on today's episode. I want to thank people for watching. And if you missed any of this episode or you want to see any of the other 120 some episodes that we've done up to this point, you can catch all the episodes on deepcutslive.com.